I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis. And we got to watch some football today. We got to watch Ohio State's entire first fall camp practice, which means we got to see quarterbacks quarterbacking. We got to see defensive players not really tackling because they weren't in pads, but going through their stuff and offensive linemen and offensive players going through their stuff. We got to see the full team really for the first time in quite a while since so many guys were out in the spring. Nathan, Andrew, well, Nathan, how's it feel to be back? Andrew, how did it feel to get your first taste of Ohio State football today? Uh, it felt good to be back, I suppose. And I'm glad that mm. as opposed to the spring, spring is very indoors. It's a little dingy. It's a little, um, mm. whatever it's, it's confined today. We're outside and it's wide open and you're, you know, it's nice weather. Uh, you know, got a little, got a little sun in the power alleys here for those not watching on YouTube. Can't, can't see that, but, um, no, I thought it was good. Uh, I wish we got to see more. Yeah, I, I same here. Like I, I think it's funny. You think fall practice, spring practice, or like Nathan was saying, there's it's it's not really fall or spring practice. I mean, in the spring you show up and it's 22 degrees in the morning, and in the summer it's not fall practice because it's August third and it's really hot. But I mean, it it was a lot for me today. You know, you're um you're you're trying to watch a bunch of different things at once. You're trying to make sure you have everything on lock trying, okay, this is what this guy looks like, or, you know, hey, I'm now I'm trying to put, you know, I, I've been memorizing rosters for a little bit. All right, now I'm trying to remember this guy's number and this guy's name. So it was a lot. It was, uh, it was fun though. I, um, like Nathan said, I wish I, uh, wish I had a chance to uh, see a little bit more. So Ryan Day said something during his Wednesday interview session ahead of fall camp that they were at full strength and he, I think he said they were four deep at some spots. But the point about they had so much depth in a way that they maybe haven't had in a couple of years here where they could field two teams, two fields, excuse me, worth of players. And we saw that play out on Thursday in a world where they're trying to keep the reps with the ones as even as possible with Kyle McCord and Devin Brown as this quarterback battle continues to take on shape. You saw – some of the starters on one field, you saw some of the starters on the other field. They 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 went team scarlet and team gray, where it really wasn't ones versus twos or ones versus ones. It was just kind of everybody everywhere. Nathan, you watched the quarterback. So as you saw guys work with different groups, whether I think there was at one point where Marvin Harrison Jr. was on one field and a Mecca Buka was on the other field, just so both quarterbacks had an elite 
wide receiver to throw to. What's the vibe? What's the your impression? Not seeing these guys in person now for a couple of months of how this quarterback battle is going after day one of fall camp. Yeah, I thought maybe they would loosen it up a little bit more today because you had 500 people who paid to be at practice. And they yeah. did give them one session of like seven on seven competitive type stuff, ones versus one sort of a scenario. So one period mm-hmm. of that, one other period where you got a little bit of offense versus defense, but but for the most part, it was a lot of drill work today. So I didn't, there wasn't anything that was significantly different than what we saw in the spring. I didn't look out there and see that either Kamakord or Devin Brown was a whole different player based on the kind of things we saw today. Frankly, in the spring, we saw a lot more competitive things, a lot more you would, they would do third down stuff. They would do goal line stuff. They would do, and they'll do all that stuff this preseason too, just not in front of my fat face or anybody else's uh, in the media. So I thought though that that was important. And, and the fact that they, on one hand, you would say, you know, right now, even putting together one offensive line is still a work in progress. But when you start taking into account all the positions and the fact that they can spread it out over two fields like that, uh, that does, if you think back to the spring, seem a little bit restrictive at times because there were so many guys out in the spring. I mean, they were missing so many starters, especially on defense. Look how thin linebacker was in the spring. And now with everybody back, plus you've added some more people, plus you've moved some people around, now all of a sudden you you do have more freedom to just rep more. And that's, you know, everybody we ever talk to in almost any capacity, it always kind of comes back to that. Like, well, just get as many reps as you can. That's how you're going to get better. And that seems to be what they've come up with the formula to do here, at least for the start of preseason camp. So, Andrew, you watch the offense and this is your first time getting nods with anybody not named Marvin Harrison Jr., Cade Stover, or J.T. Twimaloao, just because you got to see. But you, even then, you saw them in suits. It's not like you saw them in pads. Yeah. Were we actually going to learn anything about the – given how this thing played out and how mixed and matched it was, and there's some battles that clearly aren't going to be decided today, were we actually going to learn anything about the offense on day one that was going to change our opinions from how we felt before we watched anything? Not fundamentally, I don't think. I think there are certain things that you can just kind of file away in the back of your brain and go, huh, interesting. I'm going to I'm gonna make note of that for a week down the line, for two weeks down the line. You know, like uh, Zen Mahalski, if I said that right, if I said that right, correct? That was the first Mahalski. time I think I said yeah. that. was the first time I said that right all day. Um, so, you know, like him starting at right tackle, him getting kind of a lot of the first team reps at right tackle, interesting not going to read anything into that. They don't have pads on yet. I mean, that's a position that you 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 just really can't see a ton from. You know, I think for some of the guys on um on the offense like there was a especially a running back, there was not really a set, hey, here's our number 1, here's our number 2, here's our number 3. It was just everybody gets a turn to to carry uh, to carry the ball and to kind of get a rep at running back. Like there wasn't a ton that I think you could take away but there were just things where you look at and you say, huh, okay, so this is, you know, this is where this guy is going to line up, or this is where they see him right now. Luke Montgomery, second team left tackle. You got a lot of the second team reps at left tackle. Interesting. Not going to read anything into that right now, but I'm just going to file it away. So, I'm, you know, you can, you can think of things and you can see kind of thing. You can see some things happen, but 
it, for me, I, I mean, none of this really matters. None of this is super informative until you actually start to get some pads on. And once once dudes start to hit, then you can then you can get a pretty good idea of what's going on. So Nathan, you you mentioned this with the quarterback. Nobody really did anything to maybe stand out in a way that was like popping all at you. The only interception we saw was Malik Hartford getting the pick six on Devin Brown, where then Devin Brown had to run a lap because of that, which well, that's more, I mean, some of that is probably Devin Brown made a bad read, but also not the best throw in the world, but also kudos to Malik Hartford who continues to flash just like he was at times in the spring. How should we view this quarterback battle right now? Because it would seem and feel like we talked about this on, on the Thursday pod the perception seems to be building around the idea that Kyle McCord is is winning this battle. Even, no matter how much Ryan Day is trying to keep it close and, you know, they're keeping the reps close and it's neck and neck and there's not close to a decision yet. By the way we asked questions on Wednesday, the way that if you just search Kyle McCord and Devin Brown's names on Google for if you aren't covering this team, it just feels like, the world thinks Kyle McCord is ahead the same way they felt like CJ Stroud was ahead in 2021. And it's just, when is Kyle McCord going to seize the moment and put the right punctuation on that? Is that a fair assessment coming out of what we saw in the spring and how they both played and now seeing it? It's only day one. I understand that there's weeks that are going to probably go by before a decision is actually made, but is that a fair assessment based off what you saw from both of those quarterbacks today? Yeah, I wouldn't characterize it the same way as 2021 because I think in 2021 we came out of the spring game thinking Stroud had basically won the job. And mm-hmm. the first couple of weeks of camp seemed kind of academic. And I don't quite think of it that way yet, but I have, I think from the beginning of this process, been waiting for Devin Brown to show you something that says – He's he can take this away from Kyle McCord. Like they give you a reason to think that this isn't Kyle McCord's job, and I haven't seen that yet. Uh, I think McCord, as we've talked in in a few capacities about um, through the spring, and I thought you saw it even today a little bit, and that that interception is part of it. Is the one that's just cleaner right now. That was the word I used the other day when we talked about it. I still think it's just the right word to use. It just it's just a little sharper with him. And some of that is familiarity with the offense probably, and that he's just more facile within this system and um, and, and and with making reads and, and all those things. And and some of it is maybe just uh, that extra year of, of growth and maturity and however else you want to say it. But I, I just haven't had a reason to think that Brown has passed up McCord if you think that McCord, by virtue of being the primary backup, came out of last year with at least some some small lead. I will say, though, I, I wonder if all that is a little bit academic compared to the, the true competition that's still happening. And everybody has written about it, and you just wrote about it again for the site Thursday morning, Stephen, which is the, the competition to live up to the Ohio State standard. And that's where I still think there is growth for both of these guys. And it's not that they're out there stinking the joint up, but... Uh, and, and nor nor did C.J. Stroud live up to the C.J. Stroud standard when he first played, mm-hmm. nor did Justin Fields necessarily live up to the standard when he first played. It, there's going to be growth uh, through the course of a season of competition for either of these guys. But you're, you're seeing more balls hit the ground than you're used to in an Ohio State practice. Some of that is due to this defense is getting better. 
Some of that is due to these quarterbacks aren't quite there yet. It's just, it's part of the process. They're building towards something. And I think that's still what they're chasing. I think if I'm an Ohio State fan and what am I, what, what am I concerned about? Concerns not even the right word. Somebody's going to win the starting job. You're going to have a starting quarterback. You have a good starting quarterback on this roster. I don't think that's the problem or the the thing to to that you're um, that you're eager to find the resolution for. I think you're eager to find out whether either of these guys follows in the line of succession that has been built here under Ryan Day. And I think that's where there's still some development to be done here in these this next month. So from either of you. I- I don't want to say the offensive side of the ball, quarterback's offense, was boring today, but it doesn't sound like it was all that intriguing in a way that maybe you were expecting it to be, or maybe you weren't expecting that to be. Did anybody do anything that flashed or popped, whether it was a quarterback or a running back or maybe an offensive lineman put somebody on their butt? Did anybody do anything that made the day memorable on a day that very much felt like the vibe was this is day one of the next 30 days. No, you know, I, I think with the offensive line, with kind of blocking without pads, I mean, it's really hard to get a, a vibe from, from how that kind of rolls. Like uh, you didn't really see a ton of that from the offensive line in terms of what, um, you know, pancake blocks or anything like that. Um, obviously Nathan kind of had his eye on quarterbacks a little more intricately than I did. I think, Something that was interesting to me were, were the freshman receivers because, we, I mean, we know the three receivers, right? Like we, we know kind of 11 personnel what Ohio State's going to look like. Julian Fleming, Marv, Mecca Ibuka. That, that Those are the three. Like we, we, there's no debate. We're, we, we don't have to debate that on this podcast for very long. What I was intrigued by was I watched Carnell Tate a little bit and really good route runner. He had a really nice route at midfield where he kind of turned the defensive back around and, and just he he looked smooth. He looked natural doing it. Um, you know, I thought he was interesting, uh, you know, when they went to when they went to like second team, quote unquote, reps. I know it's a little bit harder to decipher second team reps among receivers. Um, but when they went to second team reps, he was the, he was the he was the only freshman receiver out there. So that that was something that kind of caught my eye was just. Carnell Tate looks like he belongs. And I'm not saying I didn't think he belonged before. I'm saying he's a freshman. And I understand that, you know, even if you're here for a few months, even if you have spring practice, like you're still a freshman, it's still very difficult to play. And he just kind of looked like he belonged. Uh, Noah Rogers had a nice catch, I thought. Um, you know, so there were, a few, you know, there were a few moments from the freshman receivers where you just kind of went, huh. Kind of like I said earlier, you're not you're not really learning anything, but you just kind of file it away and go, hmm, interesting. That was you know that was a nice little play. I think um, you you saw the flashes of why Ohio State feels really confident about those guys. You know, I don't think it means nothing the way the offensive. I don't think it means everything the way the offensive line lined up today. But I also think it probably doesn't mean nothing. I think it's a term that we've a phrase we've used before on Buckeye Talk, and. Luke Montgomery, a week after Ryan Day was talking him up, he was the guy working with the twos um, at left tackle. So I think that's intriguing. Uh, At center, you had, you know, in the spring, it was obviously Carson Hensman and Vic Cutler because Jacob James was out. Well, Jacob James was in there with the twos today ahead of Vic Cutler. And I thought that was intriguing. We'll see how that part of the depth chart ends up 
falling together over the course of the preseason camp. That may just be a nod to the fact that he does have to catch up a little bit from the spring and, and needs to, to get those reps back. And then at, at right tackle, you know, Josh Simmons is just being new. As I said here on the pod the other day, I, I didn't think he would just be thrust right back into the ones, and he wasn't. He, he got a little bit of time there, but there was, you know, it was a lot of Zen Mahalski, a lot of Tegra Shibola, and those are the that's how I would expect it to start in preseason camp. I just don't think that is a, a wide open battle that anybody could still win out of any of those three as we look forward here over the next month. And uh, Simmons just being brand new, not necessarily maybe being even that uh, familiar with some of the drills and things that they were doing probably just needs uh, some acclimation time. But I certainly be, just because he was in the wings a little bit today doesn't mean he's not involved in this uh endeavor as they're trying to, f- to put together a starting lineup for opening day. Okay. So we're going to take our early break and then we're going to get into what actually shockingly where most of the intrigue was. I, I, I didn't think it would play out quite like this when we walked into the Woody today, but it did. The defense had just more stuff to talk about because there are things that were validated, but then also some things that I thought were pretty interesting. So we're going to discuss a lot of that stuff, but also because we talked to Jim Knowles and the linebackers, it's probably helping this conversation is defense. We saw things, but also we got to talk to the head coach of the defense about the things that we saw right after we saw them. So that's probably going to help this conversation. So when we come back, we'll talk an interesting trio of potentially starting safeties. Jim Knowles, basically stamping who the starting cornerbacks are and linebackers and defensive line and on down the list. And more on that when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So, Nathan, we've all been talking about Sonny Styles since he got here. Really before he got here, since he's committed. And it's gone from... The young guy who early enrolled and showed how mature he was and how impressive he was to he's out there against Wisconsin to he's out there against Georgia to in the spring, Jim Knowles saying, can you dominate the twos first to the first and really the only time today we got to see a true too deep was when they went seven on seven. But even before this, this trio pairing was together. And Jim Knowles even got asked about it, and he validated that it was this trio. Lathan Ransom, as we knew coming into Thursday, was the bandit safety. Ryan Day had already said that. Jihad Carter, who we thought was potentially going to be battling Cameron Martinez for that nickel spot, Jim Knowles said that they tried him out there in the spring and figured that by the end of the spring and coming into the summer, he was better off as a high safety. And so he's at a gesture. And then there's Sonny Styles. You're thinking at first, oh, that's just big nickel for when they need bigger packages. But no, 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 no. That's just the nickel. Sonny Styles, Jihad Carter, Lathan Ransom as your starting safeties. Is that something you can get behind for Ohio State this year? Yeah. Uh, and I think especially the idea of Styles being the nickel is uh, 
once you see it and once you see it in that context, it makes a lot of sense because as we've talked about many times, um, going back to watching, you know, Isaiah Simmons with Clemson, that at the same time that Ohio state was fooling around with the, the concept of the bullet, there's always been this thought that what if you can just find a defensive player who name him, whatever you want, you got to name him something, I guess, but it's just the guy who has to be out there and his versatility is such an asset because he matches up with with anything. They we they talk a lot about how oh all these safeties they're training at all these positions they could probably play anywhere. But for him, I don't think it's it's not a matter of he can play anywhere. I think it's a matter of he can he can do whatever you need him to do. At least it seems to be trending that way. That you know, we already saw what he did against Bowers against Georgia, and 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 stepping into that matchup. And you know, now imagining him more as in a safety role, having to do just more coverage things against wide receivers. Now imagining him in more of a nickel or slot corner role where he has to match up with slot receivers. And yet you're still you're down in the box. You have to be physical and play the run. Like all of those things seem to be within his skill set. Uh, from everything we've been told and rather than keeping him away from the ball and having him up at adjuster or bandit, I can really get behind the idea that you want him close to the ball where his size and physicality can play, but also he's still a defensive back. He's not a linebacker. He's a defensive back. Um, Although again, (laughs) If rather than having to go to a 4-3 package, what if you have a still your 4-2, but that nickel is this big dude who can do linebackers things at times? And um, so, I, in fact, I think somebody we're talking to today, it might have been Hicks, uh, said something about Styles getting some time at, at Sam Linebacker at some point in the process. Not today. We didn't see it today, but like that he has done it in the past. So it's, to me... I, this in the back of my head, this is one thing that had kind of always made sense. My one concern was whether he really is fast enough, quick enough, um, agile enough to to match up with slot uh, with with um, slot receivers because that's obviously a big part of what that nickel has to do. But if they're confident in that, then I think the the sky is kind of the limit of what he could do in that position. So CJ Hicks got asked about Sonny's growth over the past year and where he's grown the most. And this was CJ's answer. For starters, Sonny's my roommate. So that we've had a texter who wants me to get back to you know sharing who's rooming with who because I kind of do that off on the side. There's that. Sonny and CJ are rooming together, which isn't a shocking revelation at all. How he approaches everything. But how he approaches everything. You don't see many six foot four, 230-pound free safeties who can play as many positions as he can. We put him at nickel. We put him at strong. We put him at free. We put him at Sam, which is a linebacker because he also he mistakenly mistakenly said he was a linebacker first, but he's not really a linebacker. But they can put him at Sam linebacker if they need to be. He could probably he probably could play Jack. He's very versatile. Mentally, he carries himself as one of those guys. So I'm happy for him and excited to see what he can do this year. Jim Knowles got asked a lot about CJ about Sonny Styles because, yeah, of course he did. These were some of the answers he gave. Sonny is that guy we're continuing to try and find ways to get him on the field and let him be a factor in the game. Plan on him being out there a lot. And then he got asked about the big nickel situation. Can he just be your base nickel? 
Sips drink, yes. Don't assume anything with Sonny. He's extremely talented and can do it all. Then he got asked, Cam Martinez was not a full participant today. He was out there at the beginning, but he didn't necessarily finish in a lot of the competitive stuff. He wasn't out there. I asked around about that. They said it's nothing serious. It's something short-term, and he should be back out there tomorrow. And so Jim Knowles got asked, was part of the reason why Sonny Styles with the ones is because Cameron Martinez wasn't out there? No. Sonny's out there because we want him out there. My job is to make sure that he is the best he can be. I'm constantly focusing on that, not putting too much on him. You can watch film, put a little, put, put in a little bit and go back and forth to see where his best learning curve is. This conversation with Sonny Styles has evolved past, oh man, he's pretty impressive for a kid who's supposed to be in high school right now to your defensive coordinator is in so many different ways saying we have to find a way to get this guy on the field and we're going to find a way to get this guy on the field. I talked to ask around to other people and there was a legitimate buzz and excitement about the possibilities of what they can do with Sonny Styles. Andrew, you drove the bus for this guy. Yeah. Are you already feeling validated in that bus decision based off one day of fall camp practice? Yeah, I am. There's so I, th- I think when I when I explain why I would drive the bus for anybody, I kind of mentioned that I'm a sucker for height, weight, speed guys. You mentioned it, all the different positions he could play. I mean, when you're that big and that physical, I mean, that's pretty ridiculous to have that level of athletic ability and just kind of move all over the field. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I said this earlier, like when you have Jim Knowles saying, we've got to find a way to get him on the field – and we can put him at any position that we want to put him at, basically. That's, that's I mean, that's to me all systems go. Now, I feel really good about it. I still feel really good about it. I do think you have to be careful to an extent with how much you do that because you can't be moving him every which way on the defense. He can't be playing five different positions at once. I don't think you want to overload the kid. I think what you want to do is, I mean, you got to make sure that this guy is in the right system, that he's playing his role and that he has a very clearly defined role. I think maybe as he gets a little bit older, you can be a little bit more ambiguous with it. You can allow him to freestyle a little bit more. I think early on, you can give him a little bit and then just over the course of the season, give him more and more and more. And one of the things that I talked about when we did our podcast about who are you driving the bus for, I said, this to me feels like a setup year for 2024 when everybody comes into the year. And when we're predicting all Americans at this time next year, Sonny Styles is a pretty, is a pretty solid pick. So to me, I think that that's where I'm at with him is that, I feel really good, not only by what I saw today, by what coaches have said, by what players have said. I just, I, I think that everything is kind of pointing up for him. There is just that little part of me right now is like, okay, you've got to make sure that there is a role for him and not just we're going to move it every week because then I think that might be hard for him to build on his consistency. So you've got to be careful with it, but I, but I still feel really good about it. So it feels like we walked out of the first practice and we know who the defensive starters are. Because Jim Knowles also got asked about the cornerback situation with Denzel Burke and Jordan Hancock and whether or not their starters are are they locked in as starters. And his answer to that one was also simply yes. He did elaborate on that earlier before that was asked, though. He and he said both 
Jordan Hancock and Denzel Berg have had great springs and great summers. The next step for both of them is to be dominant. They both can do it, which we've been talking about Ohio State getting back to a dominant level of play at cornerback basically since Damon Arnett and Jeff Okuda walked out of the door. And there was reason to have confidence in it going into the 2022 season. And then Jordan Hancock had an hamstring injury in preseason, and it kind of lingered the rest of the year. Denzel Burke had a bunch of different injuries that lingered the entire year and it didn't get healthy until really the Georgia game. So if they're getting back to that, one more thing that Jim Knoll said, if they get back to a level where they're playing at the level they thought they were going to be at last year, and so you get back to the dominant level of play, Jim Knoll said it changes everything. It allows you to play with everybody else with their eyes on the ball. It allows the other nine to make all those plays. When you can eliminate people on the outside, it makes things easier. Nathan, I know it's only day one, but we've heard a lot of good things about Denzel Burke over the last nine months. You drove the bus for Jordan Hancock, and we've been hearing good things about him for a year now. Is dominant play the right way to think about this? And what's not not saying it's going to be there from day one, but is that a possibility? If both of these guys are healthy, plus you throw in a Davidson Igbenosin, who was obviously still getting accustomed to being at Ohio State, but did flash some things and does bring a different skill set to this cornerback room. I mean, it's definitely where they could build towards this season. I think, you know, we have to be a little bit careful not to expect uh, Sonny Styles to be amazing on day mm-hmm. one necessarily, and especially if if they're going to be asking him to do a broader range of things against a broader range of athletes and maybe he's been asked to do in the past. Um, you know, Jihad Carter may have some a period of acclimation. and But I, I think what we thought was maybe starting to happen in the spring is sort of unfolding where someone like how great of a sign is it for Ohio State considering everything they've gone through at cornerback basically since the since April of 2020 when Jeff Okuda and, and Damon Arnett were drafted. Everything they've gone through at cornerback since then. To have a starter from the SEC come in and not some like cast off guy, somebody somebody people think is pretty good and Davis and Igbenosin. And right now Jim Knowles is still saying nope. Denzel Burke and Jordan Hancock are the starters. And I think that's probably a, a good sign for this season in the, the the health of that room, the depth of that room. I think it's also probably bittersweet for Ohio State fans who will now still look back on last season and be like, well, then what does that mean if they had been healthy last year? Like, what does that make the difference in games like Michigan and Georgia? We'll never know. But – I it seems to be trending towards a place. And as we've said, like, I don't think, I don't think this defense has to be dominant. Um, if it, if it is great, if it, if it gets there, then uh, good news, Ohio state fans, it just needs to be less vulnerable to undermining itself than it was last year. And as much as people might want to like blame that on Knowles's play calling, man, I still say the best opportunity for Ohio state is to have an aggressive play caller who's willing to take those risks at the right time. You can argue whether they're the right time. And then having the talent that can then execute that. I think he just got caught in the middle between believing that that was the right way to call a game and maybe not quite having the guys to do it. And does a healthy Jordan Hancock, Denzel Burke, make some of those tackles that didn't get made last year? Does Sonny Styles? 
you know, last year you had a nickel who was a, a very solid player in Tanner McAllister and who really knew Knowles' system and was such a perfect puzzle piece to fit in. But does Sonny Styles' skill set elevate what you get out of a, one of your 11 positions? I, I mean, don't discount how much of a difference that makes. Just taking one position on the defense, everything else can stay the same. You just make that one position better, how, how much of a difference that can make. So I, I, I'm not quite there to say this is going to be a dominant defense, but the pieces are starting to fall into place to where last year, where the improvement because of the way the season ended seemed a little cosmetic, even though it was there on paper going into those last two games. And then Georgia and Michigan kind of blows it, blew some of those numbers out of the water. I think it might feel more real. Well, you'll just know it when you see it, right? It'll be something that's a little bit tangible when you can start to, to to feel the difference that that can make on the field. Whether it's dominant 2019 level or not, that's obviously going to get proven here in about a month and over the next six months of the season. But you touched on a very underrated part of all this. And so, I mean, Ryan Day says it constantly. It's personnel, it's scheme, and it's coaching. Those are the three things that you know build a good defense, offense, or whatever you want to call it. In 2019, they had all three of those things at the same exact time. Yes, Jeff Halfley was a very good defensive play caller, but he also had Chase Young and Jeff Okuda. And that makes some of the things. So that times when he was aggressive, even if it didn't get all the way there, he had the players and who were in place, even down to the guys like Jordan Fuller, who made, maybe they should have given up a touchdown here and they only gave up 17 yards. 2022, they didn't really have that. Maybe they did have the play caller in place. Maybe they did have the coaches in place, but the personnel hadn't necessarily caught up yet because of all the recruiting misses that had happened over those last three, four, five years there since Kerry Combs left in 2017. So you go back to a Michigan play where you can say what you want about the third and long, him deciding to blitz. That play is a lot less consequential if Cameron Brown just makes the tackle. And that's really what we're talking about here. As much as it's about, oh, can Denzel Burke be an All-American or a first-round pick? Can Jordan Hancock be the epitome of the Marshawn Lattimore Malik Hooker Award? Can these guys just make open field tackles in a way that Jim Knowles made a call, a good quarterback, made a a good quarterback play, and they only gained 17 yards instead of it going for a 55-yard touchdown? That's that's the first step, and to your guys' point. And then – towards the end of the season, let's see if they can take that a step further, whether that's with Sonny Styles or Jordan Hancock or Denzel Burke or to kind of transition this year. We know who the starting linebackers are in Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers, but ever since Jim Knowles threw out the idea of C.J. Hicks potentially playing that jack role at the end of the spring, it's been an intriguing thing. Nathan, we got to talk. you got to talk with C.J. Hicks about that. Jim Knowles maybe went into that a little bit further. And now that we're in fall camp where they're actually focused on that, what did C.J. Hicks have to say about potentially playing that role and how it may or may not accentuate what his skill set is? So when this came up on the pod recently, I was the one who expressed some skepticism about it for a couple of reasons. And when Jim Knowles started talking about it today, they were the two questions I wanted him to answer. So – Number one is C.J. Hicks cross-training. Is he playing with the defensive line? He was not playing with the defensive line today. The the mm-hmm. Jack will, if whoever plays that position, there will be time with Larry Johnson on the defensive line involved. And Jim Knowles said that that will eventually come for C.J. Hicks, that he will at some point in camp as they start installing that 
package will do that more. The second thing being, hey, Jim, you just got done telling us in the spring that you had this other second-year former five-star that wasn't going to start somewhere else, but you wanted to get him on the field, and you put him at at Jack, and then it he didn't like it, and you guys in the long run didn't really think it worked that well, and why are you doing this again? Like, the, Why don't you have the same uh, reservations about doing this with C.J. Hicks? And he said, uh, not in a smart-ass way, but just, well, they're different athletes. They're different players, and that with Jack uh, Sawyer, you're talking about a guy who is just so much more powerful. And with CJ Hicks, his point being that he has better short space quickness that maybe works better with that position. That uh, Sawyer, um, it's a position where you do have to you you do have to move around some. And more to the point, and he keeps coming back to this on CJ Hicks. And I know that we talked about this on the pod when he said it the first time back in the spring and or maybe it's even back in the, f- the last season. And he's talking about it again today. And it always sounds like a dig <laughs> whenever he says it. And I don't think he means it to be that way. But he's like, well, you can just like tell him to tell him what to do. And he goes and does it. And yeah. um, that it's that the Jack apparently is not necessarily a position where you're reading a lot. Now, I guess when it graduates to the Leo, it is, I know there's some, some back and forth there to how you want to describe the position, but with the Jack in his mind, you know, he is seeing things. He is calling things for the Jack position to do on any given play. Which gap do you line up in? Which way do you go? And I think he envisions CJ Hicks as being a weapon. That's very useful in that role. CJ Hicks he said that C.J. Hicks is excited. C.J. Hicks says he's excited. But C.J. Hicks also says he thinks he's one of the best linebackers in the country, like now. So uh, I think that is still his long-term goal. If, if, if C.J. Hicks has his brothers, he'll be the starting will linebacker on this team no later than the start of next season. So does that was my, again, the question I had for, like, Knowles literally said in the spring, I feel like that held Jack Sawyer back that dalliance with the Jack position. And I'm like, why don't you worry about the same thing with CJ Hicks? And he says he doesn't, that he thinks Hicks is even better suited, better built for this role. And that it's not something that will take away from what his talents are at linebacker. He'll still fully be able to fully develop at linebacker. So we will see, we will see both whether this actually even comes to fruition. Cause again, he is not yet training with the defensive line. And B, if Knowles is right, if by using Hicks at Jack um, and having them spend time to training at Jack, does that have any effect on what kind of linebacker he is when they need him this year and going into next year? Yeah, Mitchell Melton, obviously the other guy who's working at that position, he wasn't doing much Jack stuff today either. It was just strictly defensive line stuff. The closest thing anybody was doing to Jack stuff, which – once you saw who was all involved, you realized it wasn't jock stuff was during seven on seven, they would have defensive linemen working with Larry Johnson. And then every so often they would come over where the rest of the seven on seven was going on. And at first I was like, is Kenyatta Jackson doing jack stuff? And no, he wasn't. He was just working on stuff that defensive ends work on sometimes. And that's dropping back in coverage, which is a normal part of defensive end work. Uh, Jim Knowles even got asked about it. And he said, no, that that's not, at all what was going on in that situation it's we'll watch practice again on august 11th 
maybe they'll be doing jack stuff by then. So that will be intriguing to see what's going on with that position. As I said on a pod earlier this week, maybe it's not Larry Johnson they're working with when they're doing jack stuff. Maybe it is Jim Knowles they're working with if James Laurinaitis can handle more of the just traditional linebacker stuff. But we'll see. We don't talk to Jim Knowles again for the rest of the fall. At least we're not scheduled to. Maybe that changes as head coach of the defense, but it will be interesting to see the next time we talk to Nose, which will probably be great game week heading into Indiana, whether that experiment's working or not, or did it work or not, or was it something that through three weeks, because they've learned some lessons from Jack Sawyer, they didn't mess around with, and they just let C.J. Hicks develop as a linebacker. But I do I do think personally it's a skill set he has that maybe Jack Sawyer didn't have to be more of that Abdul Carter type of linebacker that you see for, I don't want to say Micah Parsons because that's just, I mean, Micah Parsons is a potential NFL defensive player of the year. You can't throw the best player at the position to on that guy every single time. But the thing that I, I think Abdul Carter is going to do for Penn State this year, I think CJ Hicks has a lot of that same skill set as a five-star recruit. We're going to take one last break and then we're going to wrap up with some defensive line talk, which the names are pretty. We know who the names are. I just saw some things, some guys flashing today that I want to know whether we should be able to go all in on, okay, there's actually something happening there versus do how much do we, you know, think about what the offensive line is going through right now and how we decide to judge this defensive line. So more on that when we return here on Buckeye Talk. So both Nathan and Andrew, because you got Nathan was watching the quarterbacks, but because you're watching quarterbacks, sometimes you creep to the offense. Andrew was watching the offense. Both of you mentioned how there's still a lot going on with the offensive line that they're trying to figure out. You're not going to think about a lot of that. You're not going to figure it out on day one. I didn't see necessarily the defensive line as a whole dominating the offensive line the same way, Nathan, that we saw it in the spring. It wasn't as bad at times. I felt like it was to the point I made earlier this week. If it was 10 to, 10 to 0, 9 to 1, a lot of the times in the spring, maybe it was 7 to 3. But I did feel like a lot of the wins were JT Tuimaloau in the same way that we saw him doing in the spring. As a guy who is trying to make at least 80% of what the Penn State game was, his standard for 12 games. Can we start to put some stock into, okay, he was doing it in the spring, but that's also when offensive linemen are trying to learn a whole bunch. He's doing it now, too, and he's still game-wrecking. Is there anything to buy into with the way JT Tuimaloa flashed at times today, even if it was not the most competitive periods all the time? You know, it's like he was a, a band who was a like a one-hit wonder, and he wants to bury that. Mm-hmm. One hit wonder. I mean, you can tell that that's he talked about it at Big Ten Media Day, and now it's a matter of does he come out and and play like that? And he it it was both kind of an eye opening experience for him for everyone to to watch him play that way at, at Penn State, but also now he's trying to get that monkey off his back. So uh, I think it's somebody on this defensive line has to step up and sort of set a tone. And I thought Mike Hall was the one who was starting to do that last year, and then he just couldn't stay healthy enough to sustain that. And now to somebody has to do that. 
And maybe it still can be my call. Maybe it's Tua Malolau. Maybe it's Sawyer. I think they just need someone to kind of start the domino effect of the rest of this defensive line uh, becoming more of a more more potent, more productive, and and getting to the quarterback more often. Andrew, do you put any stock in them, some of the stuff maybe we saw from JT flashing today? Nope, zero at all. Um, I think if if you were to put it, look again. Like I said at the top, just something to maybe file away. But I am such a believer in you cannot really learn a lot until you put on pads, especially at that position. Like it's just it's just so hard to see. Like you you gotta see him dominate offensive linemen when they're trying to win their own job, when they're trying to put him in the dirt, not when one of them is holding a pad or something like that. Not when you know, you're, you're going 50% and you fit form and then you, you know, you kind of walk out the block and that's the end of the play. Like, you know, and, and I understand that, you know, you can, you can see things like, you know, for example, when we talked about Sonny Styles, you look at him and you go, this looks like a dude, like this looks like a college football player who is ready to contribute at a very, very high level for a very, very high level program. Like, I think you can kind of learn things like that. And, you know, like, like Nathan mentioned, like there are things that you can kind of take away how they line up. You know, I mentioned some of the alignments on the offensive line. Like those are things you can take away. I mean, maybe if a dude lost weight, gained weight, whatever it is, I don't, I just, again, there's so much to be learned here. Like it, it, we're recording this podcast a couple hours after they finished up. It's August 3rd, you know, like their first game is September 2nd. Like there's such a long way to go. And I'm not saying, you know, that he's got a lot of growth that he needs to do in the next month or whatever. I'm just saying that there's such a long time between now and the first game. They have had one practice and they need to put on pads still and they need to get ready and they need to get into shape and it, or get into, I guess, football shape. And I, I don't know. I, I don't really view a ton of, I don't really take a ton from what you see today just because it's, it's not what you're going to be asking him to do. You need him to be violent. You need him to be physical. You need him to play with aggression. And it's just really hard to see that when you're not in full pads. So let's wrap up with this. On in, I think it's fair to say pretty underwhelming, under uneventful day from a totality standpoint when you talk about Ohio State practices. We walked in sometimes and it's been things all over the place where you're talking about. And this, it, it really centers around two second-year five-stars who might get more playing time this year, which is what happens at places like Ohio State. Second-year five-stars tend to play their second year in the system. At least you would expect they would. Nathan, there was one more interesting thing that happened. A captain who at one point – I mean, we're talking about the jack position now and the intrigue there. There was a time when Court Williams – had the most intrigue because of a new position that Ohio State had introduced, and that position has since died, and that's the bullet. But Court Williams is doing some new stuff this year. What's he doing? So we got there, and they have new um, rosters for us, and you know there were some weight changes and a couple number changes and and all those things. But the the thing that kind of jumps out at you is uh, Court Williams is listed as a linebacker. And you know, obviously a, a guy who's been in the program now uh, fourth year and someone who the expectations were always very high for. And from a intangible standpoint, he, he met them and then some and was, a, like you said, a captain last year. And everyone has always 
lauded his his work ethic and and uh, what he puts into this, but has just never been able to find a, a real home on the field. And he said that he approached the staff about moving to linebacker. Knowles said, uh, didn't quite char- characterize it that way, but said there had been internal conversations for a while amongst the staff about whether he needed to be playing closer to the line of scrimmage, that that was a, a, a better fit for his skill set. And so that's what they're going to do. He's, he says he's working at both Mike and Sam, uh, Mike and will, I should say. And then Noel said that when they do have those fourth three packages with a true Sam linebacker, that that's something that he would be involved in. And this, you can go back to the, the Rose bowl, in 2021 and see that, you know, he started that game at what I guess was nickel safety more or less, but is, was essentially an outside linebacker for what the, the kind of offense they were matching up with a very run heavy, heavy tight end uh, Utah offense. And that makes has always made more sense to me when you look at him physically than expecting him to grow into being the adjuster for sure or probably even a nickel, like maybe bandit would have made the most sense for him. But when you look at the guys that they've been putting at that position, I don't know that court Williams follows in that line and he's six, one So physically he's in the ballpark of the guys that they have at linebacker. And now that's just the transition he's going to try to make. So uh, safety was a very crowded uh, situation still is, Linebacker is also crowded because there's only two people there, but it just in the long run that just does seem like a a, a better fit maybe for him physically, and it's not like seeing that today. Uh, it was a little bit surprising. We didn't expect it to happen today, but to say that this isn't a conversation that we've had, like we've talked about it, mm-hmm. going back to the the Doug days, like the, the discussing whether Court Williams at that linebacker made more sense and whether he really was a linebacker, just sort of masquerading. And, and finally they just decided to pull the trigger. Yeah. He said he brought it to the coaches and I asked him, had this been something you'd been thinking about for a while or something that was recent. And I was kind of shocked that he said, this has only been over the past year that he's really been thinking about this. I wasn't completely listening. Cause I was also doing other stuff like everybody else is. Did he say that he's had that last year, he had three surgeries on a labrum on a torn labrum. Um, on multiple torn labrums. So the way that he <laughs> characterized it was, and we knew he was banged up. Yeah. And I believe it was, you know, when we were asking over the course of last year, why isn't he playing more? I think that was something that was brought up. It wasn't until after the Michigan State game, which I think was something like October 6th, uh, that he finally was like, no, we got to shut this down. Because uh, the <laughs> these guys, like the way that he talked about it was, so he had, uh, it started in his right shoulder. And he had a completely torn labrum there to the point that at some point, if he tried to shake people's hand, his shoulder would pop out of place, which I assume makes it then hard to go out and play defensive back in the Big Ten. So, yeah, he had surgery, and that's when we started seeing him in the giant uh, mechanical arm. It sounds like there had to be some sort of cleanup or an additional procedure with that right labrum. And then he also then... A couple months later, had to go in and do the left labrum. So that's why you didn't. He was still so out of it 
in the spring and wasn't involved in much in the spring because he was still coming back from all those. But yeah, he said, he said three surgeries over both shoulders within, I mean, that's just within the last calendar year, last 10 months or so. So that gives you again, some insight into, and this is also a guy who tore his ACL as a freshman and has had some other bumps and bruises along the way. Just a guy that's had a bad luck with it from an injury standpoint. And, we frankly have had started to have the conversations about like, Oh, maybe he's just one of those guys that it doesn't really happen for. And I asked him today, does this feel like everything is starting over now that you're this far into your career and now you're switching positions and, and, and coming off of these injuries, does it feel like you're having to like go back to the drawing board? And he, he said, no, that, you know, he knows the system. He knows the defense. He's he he has enough of an idea of what's supposed to happen here that it isn't that tough of a transition for him. So we'll see. Does this is this something I think gets him on the field more in twenty twenty three? I doubt it, just because they got two starting linebackers and a veteran right behind him, and the two guys coming up that were playing this spring and have been a linebacker for their whole careers. So I, I don't know that it gets him in a too deep situation on the field more. Does it now just being healthy? allow him to play more special teams and stuff. I, I think very likely, I think he would have been doing more of that last year too. So he's a useful player. He's a good football player. It's just a matter of whether it's ever going to line up for him to find a way onto the field as a, as a, like a starter, as a, as a primary defensive player for this team. I think that remains to be seen no matter what position you're putting him at. Maybe we should have drove the bus for Ohio state, just being a little bit more upfront about injuries this year. Because, I mean, it's just, we're learning a lot of stories here, man. Well, yeah, that, that always varies player to player. You catch the yeah. right guy on the right day, and they'll tell you the name of the that doctor. That's true. And you, but there's other guys who are like, I don't think I'm supposed to talk about that. So that some of true. that's up in the air. And I think for someone like Court Williams, I mean, he, he knows that, again, Court Williams wasn't like a top 50 prospect. He wasn't mm-hmm. a, a, but he had some, real acclaim coming in because of his makeup and his character and the things that they saw in him as being a future captain. And lo and behold, that's what happened. Uh, I think that attached some expectations to him from a football standpoint too, though. And so I think he probably knows that people have been asking like, Hey, where is this guy? And now it's a matter of by coming up there, you know, he wasn't going to tell us those things and, and he wasn't available to us in the media last year when he was going through all those injury things. So this was his first opportunity to say, all right, well, I, uh, this is everything I went through and it's why last season looked the way it did. And here, this is where we're going forward. So I think he just wanted to explain himself a little bit. I thought it was, he says he's had big, go ahead, Andrew. No, I I was just going to add in a little, a little comment. I thought it was, I thought it was kind of ironic that, or I guess maybe ironic isn't the word, whatever it was. I had just come in and it was like, oh man, I didn't eat breakfast today. It's kind of hot out, got a little bit of a headache. And he's just like, oh yeah, if I shook somebody's hand, my shoulder would pop out of place. I was like, that's rid- I was like, that's insane. Like that's incredibly yeah. difficult to just forget football. Like how do you, how do you live your life? How do you like, how do you pick up your backpack and go to class? How do you, I, I, how do you go grocery shop? Like I was, that was the whole thing that I was thinking of in the back of my mind. I was just like, Wow, I sound like a jerk right now for thinking that. Oh man, I'm kind of tired today. I was up early, didn't eat anything, and then I'm and then this guy. I mean, he shakes somebody's hand and his shoulder explodes. I mean, it's crazy. Like, like, like Nathan said, these guys. I, it's crazy, and it's it's crazy to like 
for people who like are obviously not in the know, like what these guys have to go through to try and play like, and what these guys do go through and play. Like, it's just, it's unfathomable to me. He said he has experience playing Will and Mike Linebacker from his days at St. John Bosco High School out in California. Jim Knowles said he's repping at that Sam linebacker spot, which is, I think I'm with Nathan. I doubt that leads to anything because we've seen that in the past. And then when they actually do have to play three linebackers, Cody Simon was just the third linebacker out there. You've got CJ Hicks, who's looking more and more ready to play. Gabe Powers is getting more comfortable in the system. I think he still might be a year away from being ready to play. And then you've got Sonny Styles. It all comes back to Sonny Styles at the end of the day, who just might yeah. solve all your problems. If you I think Sonny Styles might be the biggest roadblock to any linebacker playing mm-hmm. that Sam if they just decide that. Like that was kind of my point with Sonny Styles too. It's not that he's going to be moving around. It's that just by having Sonny Styles out there, you can change your defense from play to play without changing your personnel. You can. I I learned that today. I, I think if I learned anything from day one of fall camp, it's that. Sonny Styles a year ago, Jim Knowles called him the secret weapon. And this year, he just might solve all their problems. Want to play on a down-to-down basis. And that's all that really need. You, you said it, Nathan. They needed a guy who can just be, play himself. And Sonny Styles, by just playing himself, the best version of that isn't going to show up in week one, probably. But by week nine, should it show up? By Penn State game, by Wisconsin, by the Michigan game? Can he be trending towards whatever he's going to be in 2024? And that sounds like a guy like Chase Young who solved all your problems because Chase Young was just going to tackle the quarterback. Sonny Styles might just solve all your problems because he might be able to cover Brock Bowers as a tight end, but he also might be able to cover a slot receiver, but he also might just be able to play in the box. So that's what I learned today. We will be back at the Woody on Saturday to talk with the running backs, that loaded room of fully healthy guys. That's Travion Henderson, Mayan Williams, uh, Evan Pryor, Chip Trainum, uh, who am I for? Dallin Hayden, Tony Alford. We'll, we'll be texting out all that information first. I don't know if we're going to pot off of that immediately because Monday is all always market down Monday. Nathan, just, you didn't want to get people a preview of what Market Down Monday was last week. Are you going to stick by that decree this week? I think I actually gave you guys uh, what we were going to do. So I think, see, uh, yeah, um, I think it is picking the quarterback. Oh, well, that seems like it's timely <laughs> and right on time. I think it's yeah. marking down who the starting quarterback will be for the season opener and why. So that will be Monday's pod. But if you want to hear more about what the running backs got to say, sign up for the text. 614-350-3315. All that information on Saturday will be coming straight to your phones before we pot about it, before we write about it, or do a YouTube video about it, do literally anything. We're going to be texting it first. We won't get a chance to watch another practice until August 11th. So until then, it will be interviews and market down Mondays. But I thought the first day, it wasn't the most loaded with information day but i do think enough happened there that created some intrigue and some things for us to think about so until next time he's andrew gillis he's nathan baird i'm steven means and that was buckeye talk <laughs>